If you've got a Bible with you, go with me to the book of John chapter 11. And if you want to, you can also find Mark chapter 9, John 11 and Mark chapter 9. And while you're looking for that, let me remind you of what we've been looking at from the Old Testament in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. 2 Chronicles 7 verse 1 says, When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the Lord God filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. When all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord saying, read this with me, for he is good and his mercy endures forever. We've been looking at this verse together for a number of weeks now. I think we're six or seven weeks into this together. And all of this is in preparation, like we've been talking about, for Dedication Weekend. Because I believe this is more than just a day or two on the calendar of this church. It's not just a day we come to and it, it's great, then it's over and we move on. I believe what we're headed towards in this church is a marker on the calendar and the life of this church. But it's a day that begins what God wants to do every day following it. Does that make sense to you? I believe it's that significant. And the reason we're reading this out of Second Chronicles is because that's what they were doing in that temple. They had worked for years and years and years on this temple, invested hundreds of billions of dollars by today's standards in the furnishing, in the building, in the construction of this place. They invested, you can look at it in terms of money, you can look at it in terms of time, but really what all that is, is an investment of heart. That's how much heart they were putting into it. And you could tell that it had heart in it in the way God responded to it. That's what God responds to. He's always looking at the heart. Every time, in everything we do, I don't care how fat the check is you write, he's looking at the heart in it. Right on the other hand, I don't care how seemingly small it seems to you, he's looking at the heart in it. And that's why there are offerings he receives and offerings he doesn't. It's heart. It's, amount, it's the amount of heart that got put into it. And when they dedicated this temple, notice how God responded. Fire came down from heaven. The glory of the Lord filled the house of God. The fire and the glory. Somebody say that. The fire and the glory. We've been talking about this for a number of weeks and we're doing that for a reason. We could have mentioned a few things about this six or seven weeks ago and then found something else to talk about, found somewhere else to, in the word to spend our time. But this is the heart of the Lord that we go back over it and over it and over it again. Because every time we look at it again, every time you hear it again, it's building an anticipation and an expectation in your heart and in your life to see the glory of God. An expectation to see his glory. And that's what you got to understand about anything you're talking about. If it's from the word of God, the word is not a one and done kind of thing. In other words, you don't hear it one time go, mm, that was good. What's next? 
That's not how these things work. You didn't get it all because you heard it once. Are you listening? You didn't get all there was to get just because you heard it once. It takes hearing it again and again and again and again for it to get down deep on the inside of you, for it to take root, spring up and bear fruit. You got to hear it again and again. And that's how faith comes by hearing the word and hearing the word and hearing the word and hearing the word. And that's why we're talking about it so much. That's why we're talking week after week about the fire and the glory, the fire and the glory, the fire and the glory. Why? Because I want you believing to see the fire and the glory, the fire and the glory, the fire and the glory. Now, when we talk about the fire and the glory, there's another way you could say that the power and the presence. That's what they had this day. That's what they had in church that day. The fire and the glory really was the power of God and the presence of God. That's what I'm hungry for. In my own life and certainly in this church, I am not content for you and I to get together once a week, come in here and hang out for an hour and a half or two, stare at each other, Listen to somebody say a few things. Go, mm, that was good. What's for lunch? There's got to be more. Come on. Is there anybody with me? Is there anybody that would agree with that? There must be more to this than that. Now, I'm sad to say it, but that's happening all over this nation and in places around the world today. People are checking a box out of obligation, out of condemnation. They got their kids up and dressed their little unwilling minds and bodies and forced them into the car. And when they said, why do we have to go to church? The dad said, I don't know. We just do. If that's your response, you are raising future non-church goers. There's got to be more to it than that. There must be an expectation of the fire and the glory the power and the presence. And do you know whether or not we see that in this church and in this family is not riding on my shoulders or Sarah's? It's not. It has everything to do with how you come to church. I used to study these things a while back. I, would, I really enjoyed watching some of these bands and different, different musicians and artists that I would follow. I'd get some of their DVDs and put them on and they would make these DVDs either out of like a, a concert tour or one huge concert that they did. And they'd make this big production out of it. Right. And I would watch these things and it always, even from the time I was young, it was a marvel to me that you could have say four guys on a stage. One of them sings, a few of them play some instruments. And because of those four dudes, there's 50,000 people in this stadium or because of one singer, she's got a beautiful voice and 50, 60, 70,000 people come to hear that voice. And if you ever watch any of this footage, you can sense it even from watching it later in time. And you weren't there personally, but just looking at it, the place is absolutely electric. There's not one bored person in the place. It's, it's sensory overload. It's big, it's bright, it's loud. And people are having this almost out of body 
otherworldly experience. And you might think, well, yeah, I mean, those guys are really good. That band's great. They write good songs. Okay, well, that might be part of it. But what happens if you take those same four guys and you put them in an environment with a handful of people who've never heard them, don't care anything about them, is the environment so electric at that point? No. I heard the story one time about a famous country Western artist that was doing some sort of charity event. And he went into uh, a retirement community, nursing home, and he, big famous guy, was going to play his songs for these sweet elderly people. And he starts playing. And as the story goes, they could not care less. People aren't paying attention. They're wheeling around all over the place, not obviously not into what he's doing. And he finally stopped and said, do any of y'all know who I am? And one little old lady spoke up and said, no, but if you go to the front desk, they'll tell you. (laughs) Here's somebody that's probably packed out, you know, giant halls or even stadiums, thousands of people. But you take that same guy and you put him in an environment where nobody cares. It's not electric, is it? So really, when you're watching that and and there's thousands of people there and they're all so excited and the place is going nuts, it it, it may be that the, the talent's good or the songs are good. That's one thing. But those people had a lot to do with it. Because you know, you want to know what happened? Those people have been looking forward to that night, maybe for months, months and months leading up to this. And then the night finally came and they piled into the car, right? And this is happening from hundreds of miles in every direction. People are driving in so excited, so excited. And you got thousands upon thousands of people coming in and converging on this one place. And every one of them's going, this is going to be good. This is going to be good. Oh, I can't wait. This is going to be good. Oh, this is going to be so good. I hope they sing this one. Oh, I hope they do this one. And then they finally get there and they get into that atmosphere and the band strikes a chord and the singer starts singing and they all know the words and you can hear their voices louder than anybody else in the stadium. They're all singing the same thing. Two things make that atmosphere what it is. Expectation and unity. Expectation and unity. What do you think would happen if the, I mean, I don't know how many we have in here. What, three or 4,000 of us? If we all just... Okay. What if we all just got in the car Sunday morning, not out of any kind of sense of obligation or pressure or afraid that if we don't go, God might smite us, but we got in and instead of fussing with each other, instead of griping husbands and wives all the way, instead of yelling at the kids in the backseat. And then when the car door opens, all of a sudden you're super happy, spiritual, religious. Hey, brother. How are you today? Oh, blessed and highly favored of the most high God. You know what that is? Fake. 
and God's not impressed. But what if we got, got up with an excitement? What if we got in the car with an expectation? And what if from miles around this place, people were driving in going, this is going to be good. This, I'm getting answers today. I, I got my eyes on Jesus today and I know, I know my healing is today. I know my deliverance is today. I know I'm getting answers. I'm not walking out of that place the same way that I came in. What if we all came in this place going, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. And then we got in here and we, we were of one heart and one mind and one accord in unity not fault finding, not fault seeking, not pointing our fingers at anybody, not judging anyone for anything, but just come in honesty before God, loving him, loving each other, putting on the Lord Jesus Christ like it was his tour t-shirt. I got the, I got the t-shirt. I put on the love of God. I put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what we would have in this place? The power and the presence. I'm telling you, it's not all on me. I know my assignment. I know my part. And by his grace, I'm going to do it. But you have a part. You have an assignment. What are you expecting? Well, church wasn't very good today. Okay. What were you expecting? Man, he went a little long today. I know I'm working on it. But what were you expecting? Huh? If you come expecting nothing, guess what you leave with? Exactly nothing. But if you come expecting the manifestation of the fire and the glory, the power and the presence of God, not only will you receive something, but your kids are watching you. They're watching the attitude you come to church in. They're watching the way you come. And if you love it, guess what they're going to do? They're going to love it. They're going to love it. And quite frankly, I hope you do. I need them to love it. I want them to fall so in love with Jesus and experience him in this church and, and for what they experience in their times together in praise and worship and playing games and hearing the word to leave such a lasting mark on their lives that when they're in their teenage years, they're not running from this place. They're running back to it and bringing other people with them because they come expecting something. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Well, in John chapter 11, we looked at this several times, but Jesus standing at the tomb of Lazarus said to Lazarus' sister, Martha, when he said in verse 39, take away the stone, Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench. He's been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Notice with Jesus, believing comes first. In the world, seeing comes first. I don't believe until I see. If I can see it, then I'll believe it. But that's not how it works with God. That's not how it works in the kingdom of God. If you want to see him, it starts with believing. See, faith is involved. 
And we've talked all about this, but, but if Jesus was just going to do what Jesus was going to do, if he came to the tomb of Lazarus with all the power and all the willingness to raise him from the dead, and it didn't matter what Martha believed or Mary believed or anybody else, then why ask them? Huh? Why solicit faith from her? Because if he's just going to do it, then Jesus, come on, get on with it. Huh? And if he was just going to do it, why has he got to be standing at the tomb? Why couldn't he have done it from wherever he was when the word came to him, Lazarus is sick? Why couldn't he just said, Lazarus, be well? It's all good. He's looking for faith. Faith is the connector to the power, the power and the presence. And this is why he's saying to her, I told you, believe. I need you to believe. If you want me to do what I came here to do, I'm looking for faith out of you. I'm looking for faith out of you. And he's still looking for the same thing today. So if, we're, if faith is involved in this and we're looking at scriptures, you know, the, the, the word of God says this in so many different places that the whole earth will be filled with the glory of God. The Bible says that the glory of God will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. These are promises from the word. Now, instead of hearing that and then looking at society going, man, I don't, I sure don't see that. I don't see the glory out there. I don't see how we can have any glory with the Democrats in charge. <laughs> That's not a faith statement. If your political opinions are louder than your faith in God, something's wrong. And if your faith in God is somehow tied to your political opinions, something's really wrong. Faith is in spite of all of it. Faith doesn't care who's in there. And faith doesn't lose its mind just because the guy who you didn't vote for got elected. Is there a verse that says, quit freaking out? I'm looking for that one. <laughs> Don't lose your mind. There's got to be one in there. If you're looking into society and the world we're living in, and it does not look like the glory's covering the earth, what should you be doing? Acknowledging how little glory there is? No. Believing to see it. Were Mary and Martha seeing any glory when Lazarus was sick? Were they seeing any glory when he died? Were they seeing the glory when they put him in the tomb? No. But when you're not seeing it, that's the perfect time to believe to see it. It's so simple. What do I do if I'm not seeing it? Oh, that's the easiest, man. I can answer that so easily. Believe to see it. Stay in faith. And if faith is involved in this, and if, and if we're going to see the power and the presence of God in our church, it's going to be more than just, well, God said the glory's coming, so man, that'll be great. When's that happen? I want to make sure I'm there that Sunday. Faith is connected to it. That's what I'm talking about, coming with expectation. Faith is connected to it. We've got promises from the word. I'm going to fill this earth with the glory of God. Well, how are we going to see that? We're going to believe to see it. The seeing will not come first. The believing comes before it. Believing to see always immediately precedes seeing it. And I don't care what you're talking about. 
Whether it's provision or healing in your body or restoration in your family or the glory of, the, uh, glory of God filling this house or yours, what comes right before you see it? Believing to see it. Always. In the book of Hebrews chapter 11 talks to us about faith. Put that on the screen for us. Hebrews 11.1. 1. You don't have to turn there. You know this verse. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The NIV says faith is the confidence of what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. So here you can see faith and hope working together. We touched on this some last week, but there's a lot of misunderstanding about what these two things are, how these two things work. Are they the same? Are they different? But it really is so easy. Hope, Bible hope, not the way we use it in our modern vernacular, not the way that most of the people in this world use it. I mean, we've had politicians build whole political parties and, and, and run campaigns on hope, hope for the future, right? And what people hear is, man, I sure want that. Wouldn't that be great if things were that way? We really desire that. We really, 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 really want it. But Bible hope has nothing to do with really, 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 really wanting it. It's not about just desire or wishing. It's more than that. Bible hope is expectation. We're already talking about that, right? So when I say you come to church with an expectation, what that is, is hope. And it's not like, well, I hope we see the glory today. Come on, shut up. Say it the right way. I am expecting to see it. I am believing to see the glory of God. Has nothing to do with just desire or wishing or wanting. It's expectation, confident expectation. This is what we will have, glory to God. Expectation. Now, the only person who has any right or reason to expect something good is the person with faith in a good God. Without faith in his goodness, you have no foundation to build your hope from. If there's no foundation of faith in his goodness, then all it is is desire. All it is is really wanting something. But when you build your life on this confident, this, this concrete, if you will, foundation of faith in God, faith in Jesus, faith in his word, it produces a confident expectation of the good that is to come. Faith in a good God causes you to expect good things. Faith in Jesus, your savior means you can expect salvation. Faith in Jesus, your healer, means you can expect healing. You can expect it. You can expect it. Thank you, Lord. But Hebrews 11 goes on to talk about a man named Noah in verse 7. And it says that by faith, Noah, Hebrews eleven seven, by faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared. Somebody say prepared prepared an ark for the saving of his house for the saving of his household the amplified classic edition says prompted by faith noah being forewarned by god concerning events of which as yet there was no visible sign so again he's talking about what you can't see events of which there was no visible sign took heed and diligently and reverently 
constructed and prepared an ark for the deliverance of his own family. Faith prepares. When you're expecting, if you're genuinely expecting, that will produce a preparation. Expectation produces preparation. And this is one of the ways you know you are actually in faith. People talk a big talk about faith. I'm believing to see this. I'm believing God for that. We're believing to see the glory. Okay, that's a good thing to say. But what preparation is going on? I mean, what if God spoke to Noah and said, rain's coming, floods are coming, and I'm going to cover this earth with an outpouring. Except it wasn't going to be an outpouring of glory. It was going to be an outpouring of judgment. Floods coming, floods coming. And what if Noah said, hmm, good word, Lord. Good word. I tell you what, first sign of rain, I'll get to work on that art. If I see a cloud, I'm going to get up right then. You better believe it. What if he had waited to see something in the natural before he started getting ready? I mean, he would, have, he would have gone the way of the rest of the world for one reason, not prepared. Faith prepares. If you're really expecting something good, get ready for it. Get ready for it. And there are ways to get ready in every place, in every area of your life, spirit, soul, and body. But this is one of the big ways to indicate whether or not you're actually in faith about something. I got anybody in here that is right now believing God in your family for, for new vehicles, new transportation. Yeah, I, I knew we would have. If you have, if you got it today, if the Lord put it in your driveway today, is your garage clean? Could you park? Okay. That was two. Thanks. We good for you. The rest of us, what do we need to get busy doing? Preparing, making a place for it, right? Preparation, faith prepares. And if you're not ready, there are things that either God will not do in you or for you, or things that will just pass you by. Hmm? Believe in God for a spouse. Single, have a desire in your heart, I want to be married. Well, that's a good desire. But let me ask you something. If God brought them today, huh? Are you ready? Are you prepared? Are you ready in your heart, in your mind? Are you ready physically? Are you ready financially? Or is it the grace of God that he has not introduced her to you yet? Huh? Preparation. Faith gets ready. Sarah and I got it in our hearts years ago. Probably around 2015 or so, 2014, 2015, we knew the Lord had called us to have a television ministry. Uh, we were confident about it. And we said, that's good. We need to start moving towards that. Well, I think it was around 2015, later that year. I may have some of these dates wrong, but my grandfather called Sarah and I and said, listen, 
we are starting a television network. And moving from just having a TV broadcast to having a whole network. And we are going to be putting on other ministers, other ministries, and we're putting their broadcast on. We're sowing the time into them. And he said, your Mimi and I are inviting you to, to put a television broadcast on our network. Glory to God. Glory to God. One problem. We didn't have a TV show. Now, the Lord had already spoken to us months, months before that. This is where you're headed. Okay, Lord. Mm, good word. Good word. Now, when Papa called, that was the summer of 20, I want to say 15. And the network was beginning, I believe, in September of 15. So that's just a very short window. I mean, we've probably had two or three months between when he told us and when it was going to launch. And we didn't have a thing. And we got, got home from the trip we were on. And I called the head of the TV department and the network. And I said, listen, Papa, call, Papa called and he invited us to have a program, but I, I don't have one. And uh, I, I don't know that I can have it by the time you launch. He said, listen, it's okay. Um, it's an open invitation. When you're ready, give us a program. Do you hear that? When you're ready, give us the program. We'll put it on. Okay, great. Well, that summer wraps up. We don't have a program. September gets here. They're launching the network. We don't have a program. October, November, December. We still don't have a program. January of 16, February. We don't yet have a program. I finally woke up and I believe it was at the unction of the spirit of God on the inside of me. And he just said, Jeremy, what are you doing? What are you doing? Number one, I told you this was coming. Number two, I've opened the door of opportunity. What are you doing? And it got all over me. Sarah and I went before our staff and we're a small group, uh, even smaller then than we are now and said, guys, are you familiar with the term light a fire? It's something my mom used to say to me on a fairly regular basis. Jeremy, you better light a fire. What's that mean? Quit dragging your feet, boy. Get up and go do what I told you to do. And we didn't have experience in it. None of us. I mean, I'd been on one side of the camera a handful of times, but never on the backside trying to figure out how to work these things and get this put together. But we said to our staff, we've got to get this done. And it was February that year. And I said, we're going on in April. It's a short amount of time. But you know what? The grace of God came all over us to do it. And they did it. And they did an excellent job with it. It's just gotten better and better over time. And we finally got it on. Man, feeling good about that. Until one day after we had debuted the program and just spending some time with the Lord, he said, do you realize that you stood at the threshold of an open door for seven months, but you could not walk through it for one reason? You weren't ready. You weren't ready. Seven months. And it, it dawned on me, seven months. That's seven months that we did not preach the word all over the world. That's seven months of not hearing the gospel that somebody could have heard and gave their life to Jesus. That's seven months of not presenting vision to potential partners who the Lord would assign to our ministry. Seven months. That's seven months without testimonies, without miracles, without the glory of God for one reason. I wasn't ready. 
just wasn't prepared. I knew the Lord had said it. Oh God, that's a good word. Praise the Lord for that word. I'm expecting that. No, you're not. If you're not preparing, you're not expecting. And we made the decision right then. I will never again in my life stand at the threshold of an open door of God opportunity and not be able to walk through it just because I wasn't ready. Never doing it again. Does that make sense to you? Faith gets ready. We touched some on that last week, but I need to give you some more. So go to uh, Mark chapter nine. Did you find that 30 minutes ago? Mark chapter nine. One of the things we're going to be doing in preparation and getting ready for dedication weekend is what Sarah's already mentioned to you. We're going to be praying together on Tuesday nights, starting this Tuesday. Prayer is preparation. Prayer is preparation. Like we spoke about earlier, sit down. Jesus said, sit down first and count the cost. Part of that sitting down and being still is time spent in prayer. Now, prayer, much to, uh, in contradiction to popular opinion, is not all about you telling God what's on your mind. Prayer is primarily about you finding out what's on his mind. So there's a lot more stillness involved in prayer. There's a lot more quiet. There's a lot more listening than we've been doing. It's preparation. Prayer is how you prepare. You could even say pre-prayer spiritually. We are pre-praying for dedication weekend. But this isn't something isolated to an event at the church you go to. This is something that should be the forerunner to every move you make in life, to every day you live, to every step you take. Prayer comes first. That's seeking God. That's time spent seeking him. And we're told by Jesus, seek first the kingdom of God and everything you need will be added to you. But if you haul off and start doing stuff without preparation, Why? Why wouldn't you prepare? I just don't have time. I got to get on it, man. I got to do it. The time is now. I got to go. I got to go. That's being pressured by a ticking clock. And if you don't spend the time preparing, you will spend the time repairing because you'll get a few steps in halfway through and realize, oh man, we should have never done that to start with. And you got to back up, back up, back up, back up, figure out where you missed it, change what you did wrong, and then start going another direction. And you could have saved yourself all that heartache, all that toil, all that, that pressure, all that confusion. If you would have just taken time in the beginning, big revelation coming, ready to pray, pray, talk, to God about it. Man, I can tell this is brand new information to a lot of people (laughs) by your overwhelming lack of response. Listen to me. Talk to him. Talk to him. Better yet, let him talk to you. Oh, how many pitfalls we would avoid. How many traps we would completely miss if we'd spend some time preparing in prayer prayer. In Mark chapter nine, this account begins down around verse 14. There was a man who brought his son to the disciples to be healed. His son was having seizures. 
And you remember this, Jesus came off the mountain. The disciples could not uh, cast this spirit out of him. And they were in confrontation with the scribes and the Pharisees. And Jesus said to him in verse 18, what are you discussing with them? And then one from the crowd, this boy's father yells out. He said, teacher, listen, my son, uh, I brought you my son. He's got a mute spirit. It seizes him. It throws him down. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth. He becomes rigid. I spoke to your disciples. They couldn't cast him out. He answered, listen to what Jesus said in verse 19. Oh, faithless, faithless faithless. What's the problem here? Faithlessness. Unbelief. In Matthew's account of this, the disciples would ask him, why couldn't we cast him out? And Jesus, you got to love his honesty. He's a lot more honest, I think, than people are willing to hear sometimes. If all you ever hear from him is exactly what you thought or wanted to hear, you are not listening close enough. Because love corrects. Love makes adjustments. Like Sarah said, love will save you from going off a cliff. How many of you, if you're headed for a cliff, don't want somebody saying, hey, listen, I love you so much. And I think you're really neat. And I like the shoes you have on today. What am I doing? People require all these fluffy, pretty words before you even dare correct them. But correction is love. How many of you would rather your shepherd yell, stop it, quit moving, stay where you are. Don't go that way. How dare you talk to me like that? Fine, walk off the cliff. If you are so sensitive and so touchy that you can't hear something from somebody if the tone wasn't exactly the way you like it and need it, fine, crash and die. But if you're interested in living, then be open to correction in whatever way it comes. Because if it's correction from him, it's love. It's love. Well, I'll get my correction from God, but I ain't listening to you, preacher. (laughs) Lord help you. Jesus tells the man what the problem is. Faithlessness. That doesn't sound real sweet, does it? Man, you ever tried telling somebody why they didn't get a prayer answered? I just don't understand why God didn't do this for me. I'll tell you, you didn't have any faith. (gasps) How darest thou tell me? Did Jesus tell people that the problem was no faith? Would y'all hurry up? I'm trying to get somewhere here. Jeez. Faithless generation, how long will... I bear with you. How long will I be be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. And you remember the account, as soon as he came to Jesus, the boy, that, that spirit seized him. He fell on the ground. But I love Jesus' response. He's not panicked. He's not freaking out. Verse 21. How long has this been happening? What's the matter, Jesus? Come on, do something. Be calm. Tell me a little bit about this. He's your example. Don't lose your mind. Don't freak out. Don't let fear send you into a panic. How long has this been happening to him? His father said, from childhood, he's thrown him into the fire. He's thrown him into the water to destroy him. Now listen to this. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can. Do you see that? 
That is not the Jesus that religion has taught us about. Jesus didn't say, hey, it's not about what I can do. This is what he's saying to him. It's not about what I can do. It's about what you can believe. Again, if he was just going to heal this boy no matter what, then why say this? He's looking for faith. He was looking for faith then. He's looking for faith now. If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And I love his father's prayer. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I love that. You know why? It's honesty. It's honesty. I believe. And if there's something in me that doesn't, help me with it. Help me with it. And evidently, Jesus can work with that because the boy got up well. Jesus cast the spirit out of him. He fell down as one dead, the Bible said. And everybody said, oh, he's dead. Jesus killed him. He didn't kill him. He cast that spirit out. And a moment later, this boy got up well. Why? Because Jesus found a place to connect with his father's faith. I believe. And you know, if there's something in me that doesn't help me with it, I need your help to deal with that. He still answers that prayer. So this is a good, good testimony. Great glory story, right? They saw the glory of God. What preceded the power and the presence? Believing. Believing came first. But notice when, in verse 28, he came into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Now, some modern translations don't have these words exactly like this. Um, But if you look through the ministry of Jesus and other places throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New, you see a spiritual principle of fasting. We've already talked about prayer being preparation. But fasting is preparing. So when Jesus said this kind comes out by nothing but prayer and fasting, that does not mean that when you see a demon, you say, stay right there. I'm going to go pray and fast. I'll be right back. What happens if the Lord tells you, I've given you authority over unclean spirits and you go, "Mm, good word. As soon as I see one, I'll start fasting. What's the problem with that? You will not be ready. You will not be ready. There will be an open door of opportunity for the power and the presence of God to work on you, in you, and through you. But if you wait till that moment to start praying and fasting, you are not ready. And this is what Jesus was saying to them. Why couldn't we cast it out? You weren't ready. You were not ready. Now this is interesting because just a couple of chapters earlier, Mark 6, Jesus has sent these boys out and given them power over unclean spirits. And the Bible says they went out, they went out preaching the kingdom of God and people repented and they cast out demons. And man, they got all high on this and they came back to Jesus, gave him the whole report of what had happened. And now all of a sudden, a couple of chapters later, they are completely powerless against this demon spirit, this unclean spirit. What happened? Well, take it back to what Jesus said, prayer and fasting. 
There's some things we need to understand about fasting that I don't think we have, not as well as we should. People have wrongly believed that fasting gets God's attention. That I'm going to fast, I'm going to abstain from food or go without sleep or this thing or that thing. It can be any number of things, but I'm going to go without it to impress God. And when he sees me doing this, he'll crank up the power in my life. When he sees me and how holy I am, not eating, I'll get some more authority. I'll get some more anointing. Fasting does not impress God. It doesn't change God. It changes you. Fasting doesn't make him hear you. It helps you hear him. Can you see where we've not quite understood this? Fasting. Now, I wish we had time, but if you look through the rest of that chapter in Mark chapter nine, just a few verses later, it says that Jesus came into the house where the disciples were and he said, uh, hey guys, what were y'all arguing about on the road? See, they thought he didn't hear them. What were you guys arguing about back there? And the Bible says they kept silent. None of them said anything because they were arguing among each other who would be the greatest in the kingdom. See, what happened was these boys got a taste of that authority and that power. And they got a little big-headed about it. Come on, demons. Bring it on. I got you. Right? Thinking all of a sudden, it's them. And they get to talking with each other. Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Well, you saw the way I, I cast that demon out of that guy. You know who's going to be greatest. What is that? Pride. Pride resulting from, you ready? Too much flesh. Flesh. Now, in my estimation, there is really only one group of people who actually need to fast. Just one. It's only people who have flesh. They're the only ones. And guess who that is? It's you. It's me. It's every one of us. We came fully equipped with flesh. And what fasting does is it turns down the voice of the flesh. It turns down the voice of pride. David said, I humbled my soul with fasting. How difficult would it be today if I came up here and opened my Bible and said, okay, open your Bibles with me this morning too. And begin to read scripture to you. But while I was reading scripture to you, we had Fox News going on this screen over here. And we had, I don't know, like American Idol or some reality show going over here. And instead of a Bible in your lap, you had every social media platform and feed scrolling, like some of you do now. But um, what, what, if, what if there was all this noise around you, right? And, and through the speakers, we had the, the news playing and the TV playing and, and the radio playing and top 40. And, and what if we had all these different feeds scrolling in front of you? How hard would it be to hear what I'm saying? Now, you, you might sit there and 
think, yeah, I'd rather hear the news or I'd rather watch the show. But even if you wanted to hear what I was saying, you'd struggle. Why? Because of all the other voices. But what happens when you turn down everything else and you leave one voice turned up? You turn down the voice of the flesh and you turn up the voice of the spirit. They've both been talking. You probably knew that, didn't you? That flesh is talking, 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 talking. The flesh says, I'm hungry. And you say, let's eat. The flesh says, I'm sleepy. You say, I'm going to bed. The, the flesh says, I'm lazy. So you lay on the couch. The flesh says, so you do. The flesh says, so you do. And we need to be honest with ourselves enough to the point where we recognize flesh You've been talking too much and I've been listening too much. You do what I say. So sometimes when the flesh says, I'm hungry, your flesh needs to hear your spirit say, shut up. You'll eat when I say you're ready to eat. When your flesh says, I'm sleepy, every once in a while, your flesh needs to hear your spirit say, yeah, well, we're going to stay up a little longer. God's talking. There's some things I need answers on. What was it, Smith Wigglesworth, when he would fast? And he'd say, I would hear my stomach tell me I'm hungry. And he'd say, you lay down, you brute. You eat when I tell you to eat. That's living a fasted lifestyle. And this is part of the life of faith we're called to live. Fasting is a part of our preparation. Why weren't these guys ready when the opportunity came for the power and the presence to flow through them. Feeding on too much self. Feeding on too much flesh. If you were to keep going in Mark chapter 9, it's where Jesus starts talking to them about receiving him like a child. He's correcting them and showing them the right way is a child. What's that do for your pride? Nails it to the cross. And then he goes on, makes it worse and says, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. If your foot offends you, get rid of it. What is eye? What is hand? What is foot? Flesh. It's all flesh. And he said, listen, if they're going to get in your way this much, you'd, you'd be better off living without them. Cut them off. Get rid of it. But thank God we don't actually have to, you know, amputate ourselves if we'll live a fasted life. Constantly letting the flesh know, you're not running the show. I don't jump just because you say jump. Come on. I got a willing spirit on the inside of me. And the spirit of God speaks to me and I hear his voice. Thank you, Lord. In the last couple of minutes, go to the book of Isaiah chapter 58. Expectation produces preparation. And part of that preparation is prayer and fasting. If you're preparing for a big move or a big step, it'd be good to take some time and turn down the voice of the flesh and turn up the voice of the spirit. What a critical time it would be to hear the voice of the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 58... Um, 
God's people were not living right. And God was speaking to Isaiah the prophet and he said, you need to tell them about their sin. He said in the first couple of verses, they're coming to me and they're asking to know my ways, but they're not living, not living right. And basically he's saying they're, they're wanting the result of fellowship with me without fellowship with me. They're wanting the result of knowing my will without taking the time to know my will. And they were even fasting and they came to God and they said in verse three, why have we fasted? They say, and you have not seen. Isn't that what we're talking about a moment ago? Fasting to try to get God's attention. Why have we fasted and you haven't seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? What's the point in this? Why did I skip a meal yesterday if you ain't going to do what I thought you were going to do? Why, why am I afflicting my soul if you ain't going to pay my bills? What's the point? Listen to it from the New Living Translation. He said, we fasted before you. They say, why aren't you impressed? They're talking to God. We have been very hard on ourselves and you don't even notice. This is not honor. And we've talked for weeks about how honor opens the door to the glory. And if you're going to fast absent of any honor for God and his word, you might as well sit down and eat because all you're doing is starving yourself. They said, why, why aren't you impressed with us? We've been hard on ourselves and you don't even notice it. And then he said to him, this is again, the new living translation. He said, I'll tell you why I respond. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Let me go back to the New King James. He said uh, in, in verse three, in fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate. He said, while you're fasting in your house, you're arguing with each other all the time. Strife, arguments all the time. And to strike with the fist of wickedness, you will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Can you see what he's doing? Correcting the way they're going about it. Now, fasting is a godly thing. Jesus in, in Matthew chapter six, you remember he said, when you do a charitable deed, this is how you do it. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. When you pray, pray like this, our father who art in heaven. Do you know after the Lord's Prayer, he said, when you fast, when, notice he didn't say if, he said when. It's not if you give, it's when you give. It's not if you pray, it's when you pray. And it's not if you fast, it's when you fast. Anoint your head with oil, he said. Wash your face. Don't let anybody else know what you're doing. Don't fast to be seen. Don't fast to impress somebody else. He said, if that's all you're doing, there's your reward. That's the reward right there. Somebody looks at you and says, wow, they're holy. Congratulations, you just got all of your reward. But if you'll do it the right way, which is what we're about to read about, Jesus said, your father will see in secret. He'll reward you openly. So listen to this. He said in verse five, is it a fast that I've chosen a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast an acceptable day to the Lord? Verse six, is this not the fast that I have chosen? 
to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free and that you break every yoke. Did you hear that? The burdens being removed, the yokes being destroyed. What does that? The anointing. The anointing is the burden removing, yoke destroying power of God. Now fasting doesn't make you more anointed. Fasting gets the flesh out of the way so that you access more of the anointing. Verse seven, is it not to share your bread with the hungry that you bring into your house the poor who are cast out when you see the naked that you cover him? And not hide yourself from your own flesh. One translation says that you don't hide from family just because you know they have a need. This is the fast. This is how God has called us to fast. There's one thing, one, one common thread that runs through all of it. It's getting yourself off your mind. Getting other people on your mind. He goes on. He said again in verse seven, to share your bread with the hungry. You bring in the poor who are cast out. You clothe the people who are naked. You don't hide yourself from your own flesh. Verse eight, notice what happens when you fast the right way. Your light will break forth like the morning. What is light? Answers, help, not walking around in darkness, not being confused all the time. What is that light the result of? Well, I fasted, so God gave me light. No, you fasted and shut the flesh up and you saw the light. It's not the fasting that you praise. It's, it's what comes as the result of it. Your light will break forth like the morning. Your healing will spring forth speedily. Listen, your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. This is the result of prayer and fasting. Righteousness goes before you. What is that? Preparation. Going out there in front of you, making a way for you, knocking down things that are in the way so that you can walk a smooth and straight path. But not only is righteousness going before you, what do he say? The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. The glory's got your back. Why do you need protection back here? unseen attacks, knives in the back, and that heavy, weighty presence of God will be protection around you because you took the time to shut the flesh up and turn up the voice of the Spirit. Now, this is what I want to say to you and be done. I wish we had time to read through all of this. The, the, the results of this fast are so powerful. Light springing forth, healing springing forth speedily, righteousness going before you, the glory surrounding you as a guard in the rear. He said, you'll call, the Lord will answer you. You'll cry, he'll say, here I am. You know what that is? A quick answer to prayer. Thank you, Lord. He said, now listen, this is what I want to get to. If, somebody say if. If you take away the yoke from your midst, and what is that yoke? The pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness. We've got one month before we get to dedication weekend. And as for me and my house, Sarah and I've talked to our staff and this is what we're going to do. We're going to set some things aside. We may skip a meal or two here and there. We're going to turn some entertainment, some 
television, just turn the noise off. We're going to set some things aside. In preparation for what, what the Lord wants to do. But here's the big thing. If you want to skip a meal and pray with us, that's wonderful. You want to turn the TV off and, and uh, spend some extra time in the Word? That'd be a good thing. You want to know what we are fasting above anything else? The pointing of the finger. And the speaking wickedness. What is pointing the finger? Blame? Shame? Condemnation? Criticism? Complaining? Whining? Griping? About anything. I'm fasting that. Now there are some things you fast because God wants them out of your life forever. And not to pick them back up 30 days later. As for me and my house, we are fasting the pointing of any finger. For the next 30 days, there will not be a judgmental word that comes out of my mouth. There will not be a critical word. There will not be a complaining word. Why? I'm getting ready for the glory. I'm getting ready for the outpouring. I'm preparing my heart for the power and the presence of God. You ever seen these things that go around online, these challenges? There was the ice bucket challenge and the this challenge or the plank challenge, right? And somebody gets on their phone camera and they say, I'm going to do this challenge and I challenge so-and-so to do it and I'm going to do this. I've never totally understood them. However, today is the beginning of a 30-day, what I'm calling, mouth guard challenge. You know what a mouth guard is? You ever played sports? You put something in your mouth that protects your teeth and your jaw and all that. Have you ever noticed if you've ever put one in, it's hard to talk with it in. You can't really say what you want to say. If you just want to talk, you have to take it out. Today is the beginning of a 30-day mouth guard challenge. And I, like David, am saying, am saying, God, put a watch over my mouth. Put a guard over my lips. Don't let anything out that does not bring you glory or that would put shame or criticism or be critical or be any kind of complaint. I am fasting complaining. Why? I'm getting ready. Guess what? I'm challenging you. Mouth guard challenge. I'm not saying you got to go buy a mouth guard and put it in for the next 30 days. Listen to me. It starts with the heart. Musicians, you guys come on up. It starts with the heart. Are you with me? So if you want to fast some things with us, we invite you to. The end of this chapter, God makes a promise. He said, when you do your fast like this, I'll cause you to ride upon the high places of the earth. Thank you, Lord. You turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your own thing. You seek my will. You do what I want done. I will lift you up and cause you to ride on the high places of the earth. 
So you want to fast some things with us? We invite you to do it. Go before the Lord. If there's something he'd have you skip or turn off or get quiet, maybe, maybe skip a half hour of sleep in the mornings. Get up a little earlier, spend some time with him. Amen. Maybe stay up just a little bit later. But here's the thing with fasting. It's not about what you go without. It's about what you replace it with. It's not about just not eating. It's saying, okay, Lord, man doesn't live by this bread alone, but by every word that comes out of your mouth. So you replace it. And if you want to do that with us, I encourage you. I invite you. We're getting ready for the glory. But the thing that I, how do I even say it, Lord? Beseech you to do is set this guard over your lips. Fast with us. Every complaining word, every grumbling word, whether it be about someone in your family, someone you work with, you work for, someone who's the president of the nation, whoever it is, not one complaining word, not one critical word, not one judgmental word. And if you can't think of anything good to say, shut up. Just, just don't say it. But what you can always say is glory to God. Amen. Stand on your feet. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening today. Would that help anybody? Let's close our eyes and lift up our hands. Sarah, is there anything you have to add? Thank you, Lord. Father, we worship you. We glorify you. Come on, just lift up your voice and worship the Lord. He's doing good things in this church. We're off to a good start. And he's going to help us finish. Finish our race. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.